awesome. Hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, listen, good morning, Fox Island. Good to see you guys here. Uh, so glad to have you here. I'm glad to have you guys here too. Listen, if this is your first time or the first time in a long time, welcome home. It's good to have you with us. We decided to see what Jesus has to say today. Are you? Yeah, you got your turkey already and thought out and all that stuff? No, not at all. I mean, anybody here that's like not a turkey family, but you're like, do you completely like other than Thanksgiving food for Thanksgiving? A couple of you. Oh, nice. There you go. Uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're just like, yeah, we don't, Thanksgiving is cute and all, but steak. And I was like, it's not a bad option. Kind of like, <laughs> what's your address? No, that's awesome. Uh, listen, last week, Pastor Doug shared with us a little bit about peace. Pastor Doug talked to us about going back to the headwaters in our life, that place where God met us and gave us a testimony that we could live in the peace that God gave us. You know, we started a three-week series two weeks ago where we were talking about how to live in peace in a world gone a little crazy, right? And, and we began the journey saying, like, how do you find peace in the middle of well, unrest, or in the middle of not peace. And boy, isn't it funny how peace is one of those things that every one of us longs for at every level. I mean, we'll beg, borrow, steal, we'll do everything we can just to get a sniff at a little peace. Some of us will drink, some of us will do uh, all kinds of maybe unmentionable things just in order to get just a small token for just a short period of time of a little peace. Some of you will violate relationships, will do all kinds of stuff just to get just the smallest amount or reprieve from the crazy. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, peace is one of those things that we all just, it's like the greatest commodity on the planet. We all want peace. And we'll do everything we can. We want to make a, a bigger bank account because that'll somehow provide the security and peace. We'll you know, you, you could let your mind go crazy, but at the end of most of our decisions is a desire for peace. We just want a little of it. I want to talk to you today about peace. I actually want to talk to you today about a pathway of peace. Join me as we pray. God, would you help us to figure out how to find peace? Lord, we need you so much. You're so good. You're so good. You are the prince of peace. We need you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, by the way, thanks for praying for me. Uh, I had a procedure done a couple weeks ago. I'm getting better. So a thyroid thing, and anyway, it's all better. So it's getting better. So uh, thanks. Just wanted to make sure you knew that. So there's more to that story. Feel free to ask anybody other than me about it. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> No, my, my wife is so funny, man. She'll, we went to a dinner the other night, and I was like, right before we walked in, hey, please don't tell anybody I had surgery. Just whatever you do, just like keep it under your... And so the first thing she walks in, this lady goes, hi, how are you guys doing? And she's like, Lance had surgery. And I'm like, I don't want to explain the whole night, everybody. And so that's what happened. So the lady gets the microphone, she goes, Lance had surgery. And I'm like, what? Anyway, so I thought I'd just snip it off at the butt and tell you like, I'm good. So thanks. <laughs> there you go, hon. No, it's awesome. You're welcome. There you go. How many of you have ever walked through a wilderness season in your life? I mean, a wilderness season, right? Wilderness. I'm not talking about the wilderness that we have in the Pacific Northwest wilderness. 
Those wildernesses are not so bad where it's rainy and shady and there's a, there's a nice lake, the pristine waters, the wilderness. I'm talking about the wilderness wilderness. The dry, hot, alone, isolated, no trees in sight kind of wilderness. I'm talking about a wilderness that in and of itself is painful. It's not an easy pathway. Wilderness seasons are difficult. You know, as I read my Bible, I see over and over again wilderness seasons that popped up pretty much everywhere. Virtually everyone that God used greatly first encountered a wilderness. There's a couple types of wildernesses. wildernesses. Is that the plural? Wildernesses? Wilderness I? Wilderness. There's a couple types of wilderness in the Bible. First type is this, a land without water, wasteland, fields where wild animals graze. Its purpose is to provide, protect, to provide and to protect for nature, a wilderness. There's another type of wilderness, an uninhabited space, an isolated place that, alone with, that you are alone with nothing but time and God. And its purpose is to provide and protect for nurture. The truth is, wilderness seasons are those difficult, painful, lonely, and often misunderstood moments. But I can tell you this, like it or not, like it or not, wilderness seasons is where the peace of God is strongest. Like it or not, the joy of the Lord is richer in the wilderness. Like it or not, the depths of grace are kinder in the wilderness. Like it or not, there's no other place in life that you find a peace, but in the wilderness. I love and I hate the wilderness because it's hard, it's difficult. I don't know who this message is for, but I felt so strongly that the Lord has for us today a message on going into the wilderness. And I don't know if it's for the church corporate or if it's for the church individual or if it's for just me. Maybe it's for you. But I feel like God's leading us into a place of wilderness, but not because he's angry with you. He's leading us into a wilderness because he loves you. He's leading us into a wilderness because he cares for you, because he wants to provide and protect for your nurture. We're a world that is all pushed away from everything. And, and, and when we choose to pull away and create our own wilderness, that's one thing. When God puts you into a place of wilderness and says, come away, my beloved, and find me. There's something about the pursuit of God in the midst of the wilderness that deepens our journey. There's something about the pursuit of God in the midst of the wilderness that, that enriches his grace. There's something about the pursuit of God in the midst of a wilderness that causes relationships near you to be put into their proper order. And all too often, relationships get out of order because we somehow elevate that person in our life for no other reason than uh, th they're in proximity to us. And we say to ourselves, well, there's an importance to that thing or that person or that title, and therefore, it deserves all of my attention. And oftentimes, a wilderness moment will put into perspective the proper order of life. Sometimes the wilderness happens 
when you least expect it. Sometimes the wilderness happens well, through your physical means. Sometimes it happens through emotional means. Sometimes it happens because we choose to pull away and somehow end up into a place where God says, now I got you where I need you. But please mark my words. The wilderness seasons are not always for rebuke and discipline. Sometimes the wilderness is where God wants to pull away and grow you deeper. Amen. <laughs> Interesting. Moses spent time in the wilderness. The children of Israel spent a few years in the wilderness. Job, Joseph, David all spent time in the wilderness. Rahab, Ruth, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, spent time in her wilderness. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Jesus fought the enemy in the wilderness. Paul, Peter, John, all the, the beloved who wrote the book of Revelation and the book of John all spent time in the wilderness. For some reason, God leads those he loves into the wilderness. Why? To prepare, refine, train, and love on you. Because he loves you. The wilderness has a way of getting to you. You know that? It has a way of getting to the bottom of you. I think that's the, 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 I think that's the point of the wilderness, to get to the bottom of you, to, to expose you to you. <laughs> I don't think the wilderness, listen, God is never interested in embarrassing you. He's not, a, he, he doesn't, he's not like that. God's enjoyment is not in found out that you get exposed for the crazy that you're hiding. He doesn't play like that. God wants you to get into a wilderness, perhaps, to get you to experience the you so that you can walk away from that thing. And then you get exposed to you and you realize the true desires of your heart are not important about that thing or that relationship or that whatever it is that you seem to, so eager to pursue. Hmm. It's interesting. You find yourself with your boss coming into your office or your desk or your forklift or whatever you are. And the boss says, hey, sorry about that, but two weeks from now we're done. On the way home, you get a text that says, um, check your email, and though you're not supposed to, you look at your phone anyway, and you find yourself reading the results of the medical test that said, your blood test results came back concerning. Your spouse then texts you and says, hey, don't forget we have company tonight. Your car starts to sputter. You roll off to the side of the road, and it stops working. The only words that come out of your mouth are, God, I can't handle one more thing. My friend, you may have entered into a wilderness. If you've ever gotten to that God, I can't handle one more thing sentence that rolls off your tongue a little too easy, then maybe you find yourself in the middle of a wilderness. Fight it if you will. But if you find yourself living in a God, I can't handle one more thing politically. I can't handle one more thing socially. I can't handle one more thing spiritually. My friend, maybe you are in the midst or about to head into a wilderness. I, listen, I want to invite you in because there's something about the wilderness that God wants to meet you at. Some of us fight, we drop anchor and we hold ourselves and we say, I'm not budging from here, God. I'll stay in my discontented place. 
I'll hold tight and, and go further and further bitter towards the people around me. Or God says, let go and trust me into the wilderness where we can convene. And I will meet with you. You ever been to that place? That place where the decision to either run from God or run to him looms? You know that place. It's not a fun place, but it's a place. It's a place where you're like, God, I don't know, man. I don't want to run to you because, because it's gonna, the cost is too high. But running from him, <laughs> the cost is higher yet. We find ourselves at that weird apex, right, of saying, like, should I or shouldn't I? God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to yield all my life to you. But no, if I, just, if I just hunkered down, and maybe they weren't serious, and maybe I could push a little harder, or maybe if I just go knock on the boss's door and say, are you sure? Is there any more? And God's saying, will you just trust me? Maybe I'll get another opinion, three or four more opinions. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll. Maybe I'll trust God. See, that's what the wilderness is all about. It's all about bringing you out of you so that you can be with God. It's kind of what God's intent was all along. That we would be at a place where we're like, God, I just ultimately need you for everything. See, somehow we've turned this relationship to God into some, some, some sort of a transactional relationship. That God, if I give you this many things, then somehow you're going to give me that many things. And then we start churches and say crazy things and, and we quote scripture out of balance and we say things, well, if you do this, this many things, then God will owe you that many things. Let me tell you this, that's so not biblical. That's not how relationships work. Relationships are about relationships. God, I give you all of me. And he says, fine, I've given you all of me too. But will you live in it or will you continue to fight it? I feel like, honestly, the church right now, the, the church, the big C church, as well as the small C church, we have been fighting so hard for some sort of a, a, a method, a way, a, a style of God that will somehow inoculate us from the pain. And I'm like, listen, no, 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 God wants to bring you into the pain because he wants to bring you through the pain. He wants to bring us into that place so he can say, look, if you come away and be with me in that wilderness, I'll meet you in places that hurt so bad so that you don't have to live in the pain. I want to tell you about a guy who went through a wilderness. Who actually went through a couple of them. I've been through a couple of them. <laughs> Let me tell you about a wilderness that King David went through. Before King David was King David, he was just Dave. Right? So King David, right? This was before then. He'd just gotten done. Let me give you a little context. David just, he just killed a giant. He was just a boy doing what his dad told him to do. Take the cheese to your brothers at the war. He goes down. He sees this monster of a dude. He says, hey, I got a, I'm a pretty good shot. Let me go ahead and knock this guy. Next thing you know, he kills Goliath in bada bing, bada boom. He's in the king's court playing music, scaring away demons. And the next thing you know, he's like leading a group of people into battle. He's just a kid. He'd been anointed with oil. He knew at some point that he was going to be the king at some place, but he wasn't going to make it happen. Now, if you were David, if I was David, I'd be thinking like, hey, this is perfect. This is my on-ramp. I'm in the kingdom now. I'm going to be the future king. I know that because the prophet said so. Now I'm going to be the future king. Maybe this is my end. Here's what David said. I'm not going to be my way in until God says it's my way in. 
And so he took some time and said, God, I'll play, I'll play my harp, I'll, I'll, I'll fight the giants, I'll do all the things, and you do what you do, and you remove the king when it's time for me to be the king. But not until then. It's interesting, as he was doing his thing and not really caring about the kingdom, it's interesting, young David began to attract the eye of lots of people, not, to, not the least of which were the ladies. Let me tell you what happened. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 18, it says this. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army came returning home after David had killed Goliath. Women came out from around the towns among him to celebrate and cheer for King Saul. And they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song, however. King Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This made King Saul very angry about that. What's this, he said. They credit David with 10,000 and me only with thousands? Isn't that funny? The next, by the way, wouldn't you do the same thing? Come on, don't look at King Saul like that. Just like you, just like me. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So there's this, there's the rub. David now Looks like he's, he's being moved up the ranks. Saul is like, I got to get rid of him because he looks like a potential threat to me, which is so funny because they'd been around kingdoms before. They wanted a king. Israel knew that kings, how does the kingdom thing work, right? You're a king, you have a son, your son becomes the next king. Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan was heir to the throne. And somehow David posed a threat. So funny, because all it would have been like is, hey, it's not you, man, it's going to be my son, so nice try, pal. Like, it could have been like that. But nevertheless, Saul, one day, David's playing his harp. Saul picks up his, his harp. He playing his harp, and, and uh, he picks up a spear, chucks it at David more than once, perhaps. But nevertheless, why? He tried to pin him. He was trying to murder him. Saul was trying to murder David. Why? To get him out of there. Because Saul had this thing inside of him that wouldn't go away. He was fearful of his own kingdom. He'd forgotten that God had placed him there. And he started to do his thing his way. David then began to run for his life. He ran for his life. He ran into the wilderness away for his own life. He's like, I can't do this, God. i got to do it the way you want to do it. David made his way to the, to the wilderness. By the way, wilderness, you can get to the wilderness a lot of ways. You can get to the wilderness through pain. You can get to the wilderness through personal misunderstanding. You can even get to the wilderness by way of your own personal safety. And you say to yourself, like, hey, I just, I'm so afraid, I'm just going to get away. And somehow you end up in a wilderness. The wilderness is not all bad. But the wilderness has a purpose. And the purpose of the wilderness is to get to the bottom of you. It might be the very right thing to do that you do by saying, hey, I'm going to enter into the wilderness. And when you do that, whatever it is, whether you have people close to you or not, the wilderness doesn't necessarily mean the abandonment of human beings. It means that space, that place that God brings you to that says, it's just you and me, kid. You and me. And you finally say, no, 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 I'm going to keep on, I'm going to put more noise in my ears. I'm going to put more, more, more noise in my face. I'm going to put more relationships around me so I don't have to listen. These guys go, listen, stop it. I have you in a wilderness. I don't care if there's thousands around you, but I got you in the wilderness. Will you just stop long enough to listen? So your wilderness doesn't have to be the, 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 the removal of humans. Sometimes the wilderness could be in the midst of many humans. The real question is, is will you listen? To what is he saying to you in the midst of this wilderness? 1 Samuel 22 says this, verses 1 and 2. So David left the city of Gath and escaped 
to the caves of Adullam, or Adullam, the caves of Adullam, or Adullam. This is the place where David ran to when he was running into the wilderness, a cave, right? You know what a cave is, right? It's just basically a jail cell without bars. It's like you go in and you don't come out, or you go in and you come out the same way you went in. There's no other way out. It's interesting to me when you look at David, he's the guy who one day was the giant killer that no one would come near. The next day, he ran from the very man whose freedom your giant slaying purchased. It's interesting what fear can do to a man, isn't it? Fear can cause all kinds of craziness. By the way, listen to this. Fear always distorts. Fear always distorts. Fear will distort the truth. Fear will make uh, mountains look like uh, mountains out of molehills. Fields will make coat racks look like monsters. Fear doesn't play fair. Come on. Let's go on. Soon his brothers, this is David, Soon his brother, so David takes off, goes to the caves of Adullam, and he's there, he's in fear, he's trying to figure out what to do. And while he's in that moment, it says here, soon his brothers and other relatives join him there. Sounds like a fun trip, doesn't it? Listen to this, it gets better. Verse 2, then others began coming. Men who were in trouble, in debt, and discontented. Until David was the leader of about 400 men. You read it right. 400 men show up who are in debt, indebted, discontent, and, and, and in trouble. All show up in the cave with him. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of grumpy. There's a lot of crazy. There's, and, and some of them were family. Hallelujah. Right? You got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple days. Look out. You might be in that same cave with him. <laughs> Sorry. David fleeing for his life, unsure who he can trust feeling the way he felt, 400 people show up. Funny how misery loves company, isn't it? Right? You ever just wanted to be alone to sulk? You ever wanted to just be alone to whine a little bit? Perhaps sit in your own wilderness by yourself? Just be, and then God says, nice try, buddy. I got something for you. Here's 400 of friends that you don't even know you have. And their whining is louder. Their troubles are bigger. Their issues are, 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 are greater. And somehow in the midst of your wilderness, you find yourself helping somebody who needs more help than you. And you're like, that's not fair. I'm in the middle of my wilderness. Get out of mine. God says, listen, man, I'll, I'll use you. God will still use you in the middle of your wilderness. God's good. He loves you. He's not mad at you. The point of the wilderness is to get to the bottom of you. He wants to bring you to you. Because why, why does God want to do that? Because too much of us gets in the way. There's only room for one set of cheeks on the throne. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> We kind of, we half-cheek it with Jesus. We're just like, I got one cheek, you got one cheek, Jesus on the throne. And somehow we think, come on, don't look at me like that. Listen, there's only room for one set there. We don't get to share it with Jesus. You don't get to share the throne of heaven with Jesus. He's the, he's the king and you're not. And the, point, the sooner we realize that, we realize that he's big, he's God. And we can trust him. And his perspective is far greater. And his love is far deeper. Go down to verse 13. 1 Samuel 23, 13. So, the, so David and his men, at this point now, by the way, it's been a little bit of time. He had 400 men that walked in there at first. Listen to this. So David and his men, about 600 of them now, it's growing. There's 200 more people added, left Kaila uh, 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 and began roaming the countryside. Yep, they grew for about 200 people. Listen to this. These are the same in trouble, in debt, and discontented people. Like they're growing. They're multiplying. 
Next thing you know, there was like, just it wasn't long, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, who knows, but nevertheless, there's, four, there's 400, now there's 600. Listen to this. Now, 1 Samuel 23, verse 24. It says, meanwhile, I love that verse, I love that word, right? because you know something's coming. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon in Arabah Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went further into the wilderness, but Saul kept after him. It's amazing, isn't it? In the middle of your wilderness, the enemy still pursues you. Middle of your wilderness, the enemy still pursue you. I love that David like, was in, the, in a cave. He was in the wilderness, and God said, hey, I'm not done with you here. And so he just found a bigger cave and deeper in the wilderness. But let me tell you this. Your wilderness doesn't inoculate you from the enemy. The enemy will always pursue you. He doesn't like you, especially in the wilderness. Sometimes I think about Jesus when, when uh, you think that Jesus, you know, he, uh, he, he was baptized. Remember John the Baptist pulls him up out of the water. The dove comes down. It says the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. Right? At least, or it wasn't, I always wonder what God's voice sounded like. This is my son, the one I'm who, somehow we don't think that way, right? So, so this is my son, the one I'm who, whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens next? The Bible says, like after the violins stop playing and the glow starts happening and Jesus dries off from the Jordan River, sends them out into the desert for 40 days. No food, no water, no nothing. Listen to this, to be tempted by the enemy. Right? I always think to myself, like, God, that's so mean. But trust me, God was getting, he wasn't getting to the bottom of Jesus. God was exposing some things in the enemy, by the way. The enemy tried. Remember, he said, like, hey, if I give you, if you throw yourself off and his angels will catch you, and if, uh, if you turn these rocks into bread, you know what the enemy was doing, by the way, in that whole exchange? The enemy was fishing. He was fishing for information. You know what he wanted to know? He wanted to know that if I kill you, will, your, will God step up? You know what the information Jesus gave him? Nothing. Jesus just quoted scripture. Jesus didn't let the enemy in. He was fishing. He was like, hey, if I, if I pinch you here, will you hop there? And Jesus is like, give it a shot. I'm not going to, I'm not, you're not getting any info out of me. For 40 days, Jesus sat there in the middle of this wilderness. I think his depths of God's love and him had fellowship like we don't know. We just hear these highlights about the enemy's exchange. I got a funny feeling that there was such beautiful, because keep in mind, this was the beginning of three years of launching Jesus' ministry to the planet. I got a funny feeling that God was like, are you ready, son? You got this. You've been made for this. Go set my people free. Hmm. Let me tell you a couple of lessons that happen in the wilderness. Three things I think you can get lessons in the wilderness. Number one, God will always reveal you to you in the wilderness. He'll always reveal you to you in the wilderness. 1 Samuel 24, 2 says this. So Saul chose 3,000 men, special troops, from throughout Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats, a place where the road passes the sheepfolds. Listen to this. Saul then went into a cave to relieve himself. Yep, that's what your Bible says. It's exactly what he did. He went in to relieve himself. In fact, it's interesting. Um, the, the King James Version, if you have King James Bible, you know what it says? It says, Saul went into the, Bible, Saul went into the cave to cover his feet. What? What? Like somehow I was afraid to say it, but anyway, Saul went into, well, you know, rid of himself. 
But as it happened, David and his men were hiding in that very cave. Big cave, 600 humans. Hiding. Shh, here comes the king. Right? Shh, everyone, be quiet. King shows up at the mouth of the cave doing whatever he's doing to take care of his relieving. Next thing you know, right, he's doing that thing. Listen to, listen to this. 3,000 of them, by the way. There's only 600 in there. That's five to one. Right? And by the way, these were trained warriors outside the cave. Trained warriors who, who had weapons. David inside, you know what he was with? 600 disgruntled, discontented, and indebted men. Right? Who were not trained warriors. Can I tell you this? David was probably the first to go like, <laughs> settle down. Because they know if the king's not coming out, they're all coming in. 3,000 of them. Interesting. Some of the men leaned over to David and whispered, hey, 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 hey. Listen to what he said. Verse four. Now's your opportunity, David. Today's the day that the Lord was talking about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with what you wish. Then David crept over closer to King Saul and cut off a piece of his robe. Interesting. These next two verses, to me, reveal David. These next two verses expose who David really was. So David now had made a deal with God. He basically said, God, I'm not forcing my way into the kingdom. What a conflict, right? What a confluence of information. Because he's back to the wall, literally. David's in that cave. The king comes walking in and literally is like, he's literally like, hey, I'm here. You know, and like, David, take me out. I don't think David feared for his life. I think David feared God. But at this point, David was exposed. The real humanity came out. David may have listened to his men, but something happened. David walked over and he cut off the corner of the king's robe. The king didn't know it. King finishes his business and leaves. David's standing in there going, look what I got. What was the point of that? Because David wanted to expose. Listen to this. This is what happened in the next verses, in verse 24, uh, 5 and 7. It says, but David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut off King Saul's robe, the cut off the corner of his robe. The Lord knows that I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed. And the Lord himself has chosen him. So David sharply rebuked his men and did not let them kill King Saul. Amazing to me, right? So this is what happens when you find yourself in the wilderness. You come to the surface. And at this point, his conscience began to get the, head, the, the best of him. His conscience, be, you know what your conscience is, right? Your conscience is a conversation with God. In a lot of ways, my conscience, there's times when I think it's God. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's me fighting with God. Sometimes it's me fighting with me trying to talk to God, right? I don't know. Sometimes your voice sounds like God's voice in your head. And, and so your conscience, right? If, uh, if you're over 40, you know Jiminy Cricket, right? The idea, right? I'm telling you, that ain't your conscience. I'm, I'm telling you, and it's not Tinkerbell either. I'm telling you the conscience is inside you. It's that still small voice. Sometimes it doesn't tell you the truth. Sometimes your conscience lies to you. Don't trust it all. Everything your conscience says needs to be tested by the words of God. Because sometimes our conscience gets, it gets seared. Sometimes it gets twisted. Sometimes it gets contorted. Sometimes it gets lied to. Sometimes we just listen to the wrong voices. The enemy knows how to mimic your voice. He'll do everything he can to try to mess with you. I'm just saying to you, like, you can't trust everything your conscience says. 
In this case, David's conscience began to speak up and say, hey, 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 remember the deal you made with God that you weren't going to force your way into this kingdom thing? Look at you. Interesting. David was supposed to do the next right thing. David was supposed to just sit there and wait until, the, until God created the situation. David would never kill the king. We know the rest of the story. David, killed, David didn't kill the king. Someone else did. In fact, the king killed himself. He fell on his own sword. We know that whole story, right? And I can tell you this. Uh, actually, you know, there's more to that story, but you can read it later. There's another lesson in the wilderness. That God will always reveal himself to you in the wilderness. He reveals himself to you in the wilderness. God revealed himself to Hagar. Remember Hagar? She was the maidservant of Sarah and Abraham when they couldn't have any baby. And so they, they decided in their wilderness moment that they would just go ahead and, and, and make this thing happen. They came up with their own way of doing stuff. It's basically the cutting of the king's robe for them back then. Hagar ended up in the wilderness with a, with a baby Ishmael. She didn't know what to do. And God met her there in Genesis 16. And she said, to, she said out loud when the Lord showed up to her and provided, she said, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. God met her in the wilderness. We know that God revealed himself to Moses in the wilderness. Remember that burning bush that showed up after 40 years himself in the desert shepherding sheep? After spending 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh? David now, literally Moses now 80 years old, finds himself standing at this, this bush that's on fire that's not burning up and God saying, take off those shoes. Because you're standing on holy ground. God wants to reveal himself to you in your wilderness. The wilderness, God revealed himself to David. Verse 7, it says this, After Saul, Saul left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted to the king, My lord, the king. When Saul looked around, David had bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say that I'm trying to harm you? This very day, can't you see that with, with your own eyes that it isn't true? For the Lord planned to put you at my mercy. I'm sorry, the Lord placed you at my, at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm you. He's the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you. For, you. for I have not sinned against you, even though you have been trying to hunt me down and kill me. The Lord will decide between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, an evil people come out of evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure that I will never harm you. For who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a flea? May the Lord judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. For the Lord is my advocate. That he will rescue me from your power. Can I tell you? That that's all God wanted to show David all along. That he was his advocate. That he was his rescuer. That the Lord was his promoter. That God would be his one who will lead him to the time that he would become the king. 
God was his defender. He was his protector. He was his provider. Some of you need to know that God is your defender. He is your protector. He is your provider. At some point when we stop and look and say that, but Lance, you don't understand my bills. You don't understand my marriage. You don't understand my kids. You don't understand my parents. You don't understand my situation. And I'm here to say God will protect you. He promotes you. He'll provide for you. Whatever wilderness you find yourself in, that's exactly what God wanted to do was to reveal himself to David. When? After God revealed David to David. Why was it so important that God revealed David to David before he revealed himself to David? You know why? I think it's because David couldn't see it all along. In other words, I think God was always revealing himself. David, I'll provide for you. David, I'll protect you. David, I'll promote you. And David's like, yeah, well, I think I can do a pretty good job. Snip, snip, snip. What happened? His conscience met with Jesus. God is your provider, your your protector. He's your promoter. He's the one who will lead you. It's another lesson in the wilderness. God will always reveal his purpose for you in the wilderness. Listen to King Saul's response to David. So Saul called back. Is that really you, my son, David? Interesting that they called each other father and son. Is that really you, my son, David? Then he began to cry. King Saul. He said, David, you are a better man than I am. For you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today. For when the Lord had put you in the place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away with that when he had him in his own power? May the Lord reward you well for your kindness that you have shown to me today. And now realize, listen to this, you will surely be the king. And Israel will flourish under your rule. Do you get that? The king said to David his purpose while David had his back to the wall. God wants to reveal to you your purpose. God may be very well trying to reveal his purposes to you right now, but you're so trying so hard to avoid the wilderness that God has you into. He can't even, you can't see the purpose he's placing in front of you. You can't see the purpose that God has for you because you're fighting so hard to stay out of the wilderness and God's saying, will you come into the wilderness with me so I can get to the bottom of you, so I can expose me to you, so I can show you my true life's purpose. I can tell you there are so many people who I run into who, I I remember a guy I used to, uh, I coached football with and I remember talking to him years ago while we were both standing on the sidelines coaching high school football Remember, he, out of the blue, we were, you know, we're calling the plays and calling the kids and making them run and doing all the things, right? And then it just, for some second, the kids were away in their, whatever, running a lap or something. And so he and I were standing shoulder to shoulder and he was, hey, you know, I thought I was going to be a pastor one day. And I was like, oh, really? Look at you. You'd have been great. He said, bye. I got right to that place and I ran. I ran the other way. It just dawned on me. I've heard that story a million times. Whether it's being a pastor or a teacher or whatever it is that God's pushed you, I was going to be a mommy, I was going to be a daddy, I was going to do this, but I allowed, but I allowed, but I allowed fear to rule me. I allowed all of those things to come in the way. 
because I would never pull away long enough to get to the bottom of me so that God could reveal himself to me, so that God could show me his purpose. Listen, God's purpose for you is far better than you'll ever know. And sometimes God's purpose for you doesn't equate to the bank account you'd like to have. Sometimes God's purpose doesn't equate to the status or stature you could make for yourself. But God was never about that. He's still, just like Pastor Steve said today when he was receiving our tithes and offerings, like God's big enough to do anything. I don't know, regardless of what it is you think your, your, your stature or status or whatever is supposed to be, it doesn't matter because if God can get to the bottom of you, he can provide for you any way he wants to. You remember Elijah, right? Remember Elijah, he's the one who, the, the prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Baal. There was this crazy moment, right? All the craziness happens and 400 prophets and God rains down the fire from heaven, burns up the altar, burns up everything. All the prophets of Baal, now dead, craziness, all ensues. Literally, Elijah was the rock star of the moment. I can only imagine that once it's all over and the silence is gone and all the water and the, the, the sacrifices are lapped up and I can just imagine Elijah standing there going like, when God did all the work. <laughs> you know what happened very next? He went into the wilderness. See, God said, listen, I don't need your flash and glitz. I want to get to the bottom of you. God took him into the wilderness and fed him with ravens. Showed him I'm still God. Sometimes wilderness happens at the, 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 the opposite side of a great victory. I'm here today to tell you that God might be leading you into a wilderness. Don't fight it. And allow God to say, God, what do you got for me here? See, if you don't know if you're turning into a wilderness, just ask him. God, is this, is this that? Is this the thing that Lance is talking about? Because if, if you're bringing me away, I want to get to know you. I want to find out you. And, and then, then let me challenge you to just be quiet for a minute. Turn off the noise for a minute. Allow yourself to hear from Jesus for a minute and let him speak to you in the wilderness. It might be scary. It will be scary. But he'll bring his peace because ultimately at the end of that journey is his peace. So I want to pray for you this morning. Can we do that? Jesus, today we come. Can you just take your hands and put them out? Just put them out as if you're going to receive something. Lord, I am not asking you to invoke a wilderness on anyone. I am asking, though, Lord, that if you're bringing the church of Jesus Christ, the big C church, into a wilderness season, that, God, that we would yield to you first. That, God, we'd put down our scissors and stop looking for the king's robe to cut the corner off of. We would have some way to hedge our bets and say, looky, looky here, look what I could have done. But God, rather we would sit in the cave and say, Jesus, we trust you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to your, your children today, God, how we, we have been so tempted to try to hedge our bets. But Lord, today we would come and say, Jesus, we want to trust you. Right now, just say, Jesus, I want to trust you. Bring me to the bottom of me so that I can get to, the, get to know who you are. You're so good, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Meet with us in that secret place. 
In Jesus' name, amen.